Hello, everyone. Thank you to everyone who is joining today online and here for, let's say, our launch of this new project series, which is called Thriving Thursdays, Third Culture Kids Between, Beyond and Between Borders with Ruth Van Raken today. And I'm very, very privileged to be able to, first of all, talk about this topic, but as well as have my first guest, honorable guest, Ruth Van Raken, join and be a part of this discussion where the topic is really to explore the dynamics of third culture kids, aspects of the identity, career, and between and beyond mental and physical borders. So without further ado, I am going to be introducing the special guest of honor today, Ruth Van Raken. So there's a lot to say about her, but I'm trying to condense her bio uh, with the many accolades that she's had. Uh, but let's go. So Ruth Van Raken, she's a second generation, third culture kid, and she's a mother of three now TCK, adult TCKs, and she is the co-author of Third Culture Kids, Going Up Among Worlds, third edition and the author of Letters Never Sent, as well as the co-founder and past chairperson of Families in Global Transition. So, you know, this is really a string bio of all of her work and contribution that she has done for the TCK and the cross-cultural kid world. Um, and I'm very honored to have her as my first guest on this project series. And without further ado, um, I wanna ask, Ruth, a question, and that is for all the people who are not aware yet, um, which I think is probably few for the people who are in cultural education and TCKs, can you please share with us a bit about your background in terms of the countries that you've been and how you define yourself as a TCK, and perhaps also about your parents' background as well? Thank you. Uh, it's really good to be here and welcome to everyone who's joined us. Thank you for coming. And it's just been a joy in my life to have grown up among many cultural worlds. And we'll be talking more about that. But I was born and raised in Kano, Nigeria. My father had been born and raised in Resht, Iran. His parents had gone there. They were American citizens. And they went and my grandfather established a hospital. So my father grew up there. And then my parents went to Nigeria, but they went in 1944, just at the end of the war when children couldn't go. So my mother went pregnant and she had my sister in Portugal on the way. And then they went down to Nigeria and I was born. So we had four people in our family that were born on four continents because my mother had been born and raised in Chicago. So that was the beginning of my life. I had four more siblings that were born there. I grew up in Kano until I was 13, loved my life. I enjoyed, you know, it's normal to me. I grew up, I spoke Hausa with my friends and of course English at home. And uh, that was basically how it was until I came back to the States because I didn't have high school in American system in Nigeria at that time. So I stayed with my grandmother and my aunt in high school in the States while my parents went back to Nigeria and then later on, I went back to Liberia with my husband, and we worked, and we had our first child there. And my granddaughter was born in Ghana some years later. So we had four generations of people born outside of our passport culture. Wow. I guess that qualifies me, huh? 
it it very much does and uh, thank you very much for really giving us that whole range of experience that you've had and really being the definition of having cross-cultural experiences and thank you very much so a follow-up question to that is you know being one of the founders and pioneers of the tck profile in essence can you please give us the definition of what a tck is for those who are joining who may not know and I would love to actually hear about your own definition of what that is. So Great. what do you think a TCK is or how do you define a TCK? Well, I think first, uh, first it's important to name it, like you said, because sometimes people use initials and we don't know what we're talking about. So third culture kid is a name that was first uh, invented by Dr. Ruth Hill Yusin. She went to India in the 50s to look at businesses who did, um, people from different cultures who did business together. It was kind of the days of the multinational developing quite a lot. She went with her husband, but what she became interested in was the children who had come from the United States. That was who she was studying at the moment. And they, that was their first culture. They had gone to a second culture, which in that situation was India. But the children and the families who were living in that expat world of not being either or, had formed their own subculture. And she called that an interstitial culture. It was a world that was being lived between these two worlds. And so she called that the third culture and the children of that experience, the, uh, the third culture kids. So she just defined them as children who accompany parents into another culture. But that was a long time ago. And I think that uh, at that point, she didn't even stop to say why they were accompanying parents, just that they had accompanied them. Dave Pollock extended the definition. He went to um, Kenya in the 70s, and he also noticed there was something different about these kids. So he said they were children who spend a substantial time of their developmental years, and he meant essentially the first 18, outside their parents' culture. And he said that was important because in those years, we're developing a sense of identity, we're developing our language, we're developing our social skills. And that makes it a different experience than the parents who start doing this when they are adults and they already know who they are, where they're from, and so forth. Um, as this, but he also didn't explain or define why they did that. So as the years have progressed, more people have said, well, I'm doing it. I'm living cross-culturally for lots of reasons. Am I a TCK? And I suppose the language is going to still develop. But in our third edition, Michael Pollock, who joined me, because his father had died before, who had been our first co-author, um, wanted to define a little more clearly and say a traditional TCK is someone who grew up because of a parent's career, and then to make space for all kinds of other cross-cultural ways we grow up, so that in a globalizing world, you know, we can start talking about kids who grew up in different cultures in their same uh, country, and they have many parents, I mean, they may have multinational parents, or multicultural. So I've called those cross-cultural kids, but that language is still in flux. But bottom line, uh, the third culture is growing up in that space between other cultural worlds. Mm. Wow. I think a lot of people just have heard the whole entire history behind the term of third culture kid and what TCK is. Um, before that, when I first got introduced, when I think back, I definitely not know, did not know this whole range of history and 
experiences that led up to this. And it was also kind of my privilege to hear it from you personally as well. So this really is, you know, an amazing topic to talk about because a lot of people personally experience the need to kind of, let's say, define people who have these collective experiences and let people recognize and be aware of, you know, such people and, you know, the skills they have, but as well as different challenges that might, that we might go through. Um, and following on from that, my next question is, being a second generation TCK yourself, where your parent was also a TCK, how do you feel like having a TCK parent has influenced or it has not influenced your TCK journey? Yes. That's a great question. And just to follow up what I said before, I forgot to say, sometimes people say that the third culture is just mixing and matching. I take from this culture and I take from that and I put it all together. But I just want to say it's not because there is something, as you just referred to, that we share when we've done this. And that's why we relate to each other, even without language. And so um, my father, of course, was an adult TCK. He didn't have language for it. And I didn't have language for it until I was 39. So we lived it, but we didn't know how to define it. And I remember one time he said to me, I never quite fit in anywhere. Dad, everybody loves you. And he said, yeah, but you know, when I get called to be like, a bridge in some negotiations, I can always see both sides. Well, mm -hmm. one of our skill sets is being a bridge builder. But he said, then both sides are mad at me because they both want me to be on their side. And he taught me things like he was the one who said to me, Ruth, so many people never really live anywhere because they keep waiting to move. He said, no matter how much you move, every place you go, unpack your bags mentally and physically and plant your trees live there well. Well, that was a TCK thing, but he didn't know he was a TCK. He had mm -hmm. learned that from his life experience. So he taught me so many things. Mm -hmm. And I think he taught me about uh, valuing people of other cultures because he had grown up that way, but he didn't have language. I didn't have language when um, I was raising my kids. I just had lived it. And I think retrospectively, our daughter came back to the States eight months before we were going to live. We were in Liberia. And I would never do that now if I had thought about it mentally because uh, that was re-entry. That's a very hard time. And mm -hmm. so even though it made sense for all kinds of reasons, uh, retrospectively, I wouldn't have done it knowing more intellectually what I know now. And, you know, so I think we learned a lot. I think I had a lot of compassion for my kids and a lot of joy. My father gave me joy uh, in living this way, but it doesn't mean we automatically do it right mm. or that we know what we're doing if we don't have language. Mm. So that's why I think it's really, really, really important to understand our own experience, even if we're raising TCKs or if we're not raising TCKs. Uh, the more I understand my story, the better I can use it. 100%. And thank you, you know, for sharing more about third culture kids and sharing it to those who are TCKs and who very much need, let's say, a guideline or a help or a support and for them to feel a part of this community. Um, I actually have a follow-up question to the answer or response that you just gave. And it's that you mentioned that your dad didn't directly recognize the TCK, let's say, definition or term. Um, how do you compare yourself with your TCK experience 
you know, after recognizing that there is such a world out there and there is, let's say, a community of these people who never feel like they belong in one location, how do you compare you knowing that versus perhaps your father who wasn't aware there was a definition like that? Did you see there was a difference in how you guys um, navigated your experiences or perhaps um, if you viewed your identity as a more positive or negative experience? Well, that's a great question. My father died before uh, I knew there was a language and he knew there was a language. Uh, his sister, of course, had grown up this way. So we had some great discussions later on. I think the biggest change and what drives me to do what I do and try and help people understand is to normalize this experience. When I grew up, and I think what my father grew up, it was the feeling of what's the matter with me? Everybody else kind of got this thing figured out. And I'm over here trying to figure out how to fit in, where I belong. I don't know where I'm from. Everybody else has an easy answer. And I'm sitting around thinking, oh, my goodness, you know. So a lot of a lot of what I do and so much of what I do is driven, I think, because it matters to me that if we put language on it and we understand our experience, then we know we're not crazy, at least not totally crazy. And then we can start to use it because we start to realize even the challenges are often a flip side of a gift, yes. but we didn't have language. And so I think for me, um, when I, when my daughter left, that was what precipitated my looking at my own story because I had such a reaction to her leaving that I was thinking, okay, this is more than her leaving. And that's what took me to doing the journaling that became my first book and realizing mm -hmm. that when I was six years old and I left my parents for boarding school, uh, that was a much bigger deal than I knew. And so the very goodness of my life and the joy that I had, it kept me from looking at the losses. And I think mm -hmm. we have to all realize that we live a very paradoxical life and probably everybody does. Um, there's so much good and yet there's so many challenges because of the mobility and all these things. And so the more we recognize and deal with them, then the freer we are to use really what the tremendous gifts are. So after I started to do the journaling and then I started to hear from people like, oh, I thought I was the only one. And they started mm -hmm. to write me and all that. I thought, oh my goodness, we're really a big community and we are a big community. And yeah. uh, I found such joy in that. Right. And now out of curiosity, um, from what you also just said, is with your with your TCK kids, um, after kind of you discovering this whole world of TCKs and once again, the community that, you know, everybody belongs in with this term, um, did you did you address this with your if your kids trying to you know teach them about this whole community? Um, how did they respond? Um, yeah, I'm very curious into knowing how how you perhaps um, told your kids about TCKs and if they were if they reacted differently, if they were interested in that, if they were even integrated into this term. Um, because I find that some TCKs. They don't feel like they're TCKs and they're honestly fine without knowing they're not TCKs. So I'm just yep. curious, how did your kids respond to that? Well, that's a great question. First, everybody responds differently. And I think mm. that's another thing. This is not a homogenous person. This is our experience. We experience it within the realm of our personalities and who we are and so forth. So 
for my two younger ones. I think they grew up feeling pretty normal. They stayed with us. We came here and um, they've used it. They've gone overseas. They've done different things. Why well, my one daughter is very local, but her own daughter uh, decided to do university in Europe because she wanted to experience, you know, I guess what the rest of us did. Um, but with my older daughter who came back, um, you know, I think there was some things that, you know, that's why I wouldn't do reentry again without us being here. I think it was more traumatic than I realized. And mm -hmm. so one day when I was trying to talk to her about it, she said, Mom, I'm not one of your TCKs. Don't psychologize me. So oh. I thought, okay. And that's fair. That's fair. Mm -hmm. She's my daughter. And we work, you know, and I love her to death. She loves me to death and all that. But, you know, sometimes you can see things as parents. But I've mm -hmm. also experienced, by the way, a lot of TCKs, especially in their teens and younger adults, they don't want to be told who they are. They don't want to necessarily see the profile. When I found it out at 39, it defined what I had already experienced. But sometimes I think people are trying to tell younger people, oh, this is who you are. And it's like, wait a minute, I need the space to find out who I am. How does yeah. this sort out? How was I impacted? We were not all impacted the same way. So these are guidelines, but the biggest thing is to know there's room for discussion and there's room for normalizing and there's room for, you know, looking what's happening globally because it's happening everywhere now. Right. A good question, by the way. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for your response. Um, it was very interesting to also hear how your children responded to that and how we, each of us individually have different takes on, you know, who we are and if we want to categorize innocence or um, let's say, relate ourselves to a specific community. Uh, at the end of the day, it's whatever that makes us feel we are whole. So it's it's a great response. Um, Can I add one other? I'll add one other thought. One of our daughters went over to Ghana, and lived there for a few years, and so she was assuming that because she'd grown up that way, she would be easy. But she mm -hmm. actually had the hardest time because she said, "Mom, I never figured out. I guess I never figured out how you cook." And so her mm -hmm. assumption that it would be, it was almost like reverse culture shock. She assumed that, you know, it wouldn't be. And Africa mm -hmm. wasn't the problem, but she realized living as an adult and being responsible for all the things that she hadn't had to care about as a child. So sometimes you can be surprised, even if you've grown up this way and you think you'll be fine, that, you know, she still had to figure yeah. things out. That's life. That's a very interesting aspect you just mentioned, which is this difference between childhood and adulthood. And that leads up to the next question that I would like to ask you, which is, can you walk us through how your TCK journey was from childhood wise? And then when you were in adulthood, how, how was your, let's say, experience from that transition? Or was there a big difference into how you, let's say, uh, experienced being a TCK during these two phases? That's another great question. And yes, there was. Um, I also, like I said, grew up there. I I loved Africa, okay? It was my world. I mean, it's just the way it was. And so I rode my bikes. I had my friends. I played soccer with the kids from my dad's school. Um, you know, this was normal life for me. It was sub-Saharan Africa. It was hot. I never learned to ice skate. I never learned to do a whole bunch of stuff. But I learned to play soccer, and I learned to do the things kids did. It was normal. So, and my friends, who were Americans, were my peers, so this was their life too. So we kind of just thought that's how life was. Mm. I came back at 13 and 
probably for many people, that re-entry or that time you go back to your supposedly your passport culture, your supposed home culture, is one of the most difficult because people assume that you're like them. I was there in pre-integration day, so all the kids in my school looked like me, and I spoke like them because I had American parents, so I had an American accent. So they presumed I was going to be like them. And mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, wasn't. So that was a challenge. As And for me, I just kind of hit it. Then I stopped telling anybody I'd ever been in Africa and so forth. And it was felt like life just, okay, that was my experience then. And I think I thought I'd put it away. When I went back as an adult, I found myself being angry quite a bit. And I was surprised. Mm. First, I felt wonderful to be home. Um, I didn't realize until I was journaling later that when I took that airplane ride at 13, my world had died because every smell, every tree that I climbed, everything that was my world was gone. But we didn't have a funeral because, of course, nobody died. But now as an adult, I went back. The first thing when I opened the, air, the, the airplane opened, it smelled like home, just the air and everything else. So on that level, it was wonderful. I saw, you know, the babies were on the back, oranges were green. I'd forgotten how life was supposed to be. It was terrific. But then I found I was expecting my peers, who were now the adults, who hadn't grown up this way, to see Africa the way that I did. And when some of them complained or they, whatever they thought, I just started to feel angry. And I mm. think, don't say that. You know, Mark, it's right. You know, and so I started to feel defensive from my childhood. And at some point I had to realize that these people had grown up in a very different way. And I think mm -hmm. they, they saw me as being proud or arrogant or something because I, I was, you know, at home in a certain way. And so it was a challenge because I hadn't thought about going back. And it was like a reentry that I was going back. But for the other people, they would assume I'm coming as a first timer. I guess what I was really most upset about when people would tell me about Africa, and I think, well, I was here way before you were. So it was a surprise to me that I felt the way I did. And, you know, we coped. I mean, it was just, you have to stop and think what's happening. But it mm. was very different to be the adult than to be the child. No question. Mm. And But I love being there too, still. Right. And how would you kind of define like the challenges or the specific challenges that you had as an adult? Would you say it was, let's say, the reintegration or the reverse cultural shock? Was it to do a lot with your identity as a TCK? What specific, would you say, challenge was really hard hitting when you were an adult or when you were perhaps even a child? Um, if you could define that into, let's say, two or three words, what were the specific challenges that you, you were going through then? Probably on both sides, it's being the hidden immigrant. That who you are externally, people don't see who you are underneath. So when I came to the States, they assumed I was an American like them, a U.S. American. And of course, I didn't know how to ice skate and all the things I didn't know. Um, and they didn't know the things I did know. But when I went back as an adult, I was still a hidden immigrant because nobody recognized the Africa part of me that was connecting so strongly. And there was, in a sense, they were trying to... Um, I guess what I resented was they were trying to make, 
they were trying to explain Africa to me. And I thought, but I mm. already love it and I already know it. So mm. my Africa self was, again, I'm going back to Africa, but I'm still not African. And other people don't see me that way. So on both sides, this issue of being the hidden immigrant, or we could call it a hidden diversity, that mm. our experiences have shaped our worldview differently than people expect from us. And so how we are and what we look like is not maybe what we always think like. Now, mm. in another way, when I was a child, I was a clear foreigner. How I looked was different than the kids around me. So we could be great friends, but they didn't expect me to be the same. I think in the other situations, you're expected to be uh, in the States, like the fellow students in my class, or when I went back, to be more the typical expat, whatever that means, um, that you know, this is the first time that I'm having all this culture shock. And of course, you know, there were different things, but there was this place of me that also realized I didn't quite fit that. And sometimes I resented their um, criticisms, I guess, of Africa. I felt very protective, but they, you know, would see me as one of them. And at the same time, of course, uh, my Liberian friends, um, we could be great friends, but, you know, I wasn't Liberian either. So it's always this in-betweenness that right. of being neither nor. I think it's probably the, the identity issues for all of us are who am I? Can I be all of the above? Uh, do I have to choose? That's probably a lifelong issue. Mm. And I'm just looking at the chat right now and the comments that are coming in. And um, it was mentioned like realizing for the first time that hidden immigrant isn't just when you are in your passport culture, but when you return to your host culture as an adult, it's a great insight. Um, and also a comment saying hidden immigrants um, and reverse cultural shock, shock, there is a deep connection. And I think everybody really resonates with what you're saying and defining it into specific words really makes it much more understandable. And, and let me, can I say one other thing that is not just going to my it was going to my host culture as an adult, but one of the issues that developed the cultural identity box that we have in the book about being the foreigner, the hidden immigrant, being adopted where you can look different, but you think alike, or being mm -hmm. the mirror, was when I talked to people who were TCKs and I didn't understand their experience. But anyway, the bottom line, I called Dave Pollock and I said, these kids are having, one of them didn't, he became a complete chameleon like I did. He went to Australia, he was US American, he got bullied. So he went to a different school, took a uniform and spoke Australian, never invited anybody home. So they wouldn't know he was you know, from the States. Somebody else had gone to England. She was a US American and um, she just resented everything. And she just proudly American and wasn't gonna ever be British. And mm. I said today they're having a re-entry kind of experience, but they're in their host cultures. And then we realized they went to host cultures even as children where they looked like the dominant culture. Mm. So they didn't have a way like I did. Uh, if you look different, people accept that you're different. Um, so even for children, depending where you are and who they are, it can be a hidden immigrant even as a TCK in a different, um, you know, depending where you are in the host culture. Right. It's all interesting. Yes. And right now, speaking on this topic of, let's say, your personal challenges and the idea of hidden immigrant, 
how did you actually go about, let's say, step by step solving these internal issues or internal problems being a TCK? What were kind of the, let's say, tools that you personally used? Either it was something that you internalized and did reflections or consulted other people. How did you kind of work across this this torn feeling, I guess, of belonging, not belonging, people saying this, your heart telling you something else? How did you kind of manage those? Sometimes it's good to live a long time to have <laughs> space to do these things. So you have to understand I was 39 before I had any language. And mm. it was in the middle of doing my journaling uh, when my daughter was going to leave, I just had such a reaction. And one of the things I've learned in life, if I'm having a reaction that's out of proportion to the event, then it's triggering something. So I call that listening to life, you know, what, what's going on here. So it was a big deal for her to leave. But this was resonating back to other years when I had felt depression. Um, after I came back from my first time back in Africa, my husband was an intern. We'd gone to St. Louis. And I was so depressed. And I know now because I had resurrected my Africa part, but I didn't know what to do with her anymore. So anyway, I was 39. I'm doing the journaling. I'm realizing, oh, there was a lot of loss along with this. So that was the first thing was to name that. And then I found out I had a name and I started, I went to the first conference in 1984. And I thought, oh, it's still part of me. So I guess I had to own it, that it just didn't go away. But then I think when my book came out, when Dave Pollack encouraged me to publish my journaling, and that became Letters Never Sent, when that came out, all these other people started to write me and say, I thought I was the only one. And I thought, oh, we're a bigger group. And at that point, there had been a second conference, and Dave had asked me to be a plenary speaker, and I say I was the token TCK. And I talked about for me, personally, there was a great paradox, also a paradox of pain and faith, since I'd grown up in a mission community that if I had enough faith, I should never feel pain. So that had been a personal issue mm -hmm. for me. And so then I just started to hear from people all over the world. And nobody would publish that book because they said it was not a significant story. There weren't that many people doing it. And I thought, I don't think you understand. But anyway, um, that was good because then people had to write me and they called me. And all mm -hmm. the stories started to sound the same. So then I started, that was part of the normalizing. But I will tell you the moment that I actually think I came to terms with it. Mm. When we came back to the States, my husband started working for Indiana University. And he became part of developing a program with his medical school in Kenya. So we went to Kenya. And before that had happened, somebody had said to me, I was talking about something. And somebody had said, Oh, you, I said mentioned Africa. And she said, oh, you think you know everything because you've been everywhere. And that's why people think you're so arrogant. And of course, I was just, oh, man, this yeah. is never going to go away. But I went to Kenya. And the first night, uh, they had, you know, other people invited to come meet us and have a supper. And everybody introduced themselves. And somebody had been with the penguins two weeks ago doing something. I don't know what they were doing. And somebody else <laughs> was out tomorrow. And these people had the craziest stories. And they were normal. They were normal. Mm. I thought, now if I was back in Indiana, they think this wasn't normal. But I realized there was this place I belonged. It was into this international community and that nobody belongs every place. But there is this world. And when I travel and I get to that community, I'm at home instantly, even if I don't know the people. There's this subculture of this way of life we understand. 
And when I go to Families in Global Transition or this coming um, uh, weekend, it's going to be the Safe Passage Across Networks Conference. And I'm in that environment. We understand each other, even as adults and so forth. So I think that that's when through life, I also realized it's not my identity to be a TCK. It's the event that happened to me. And the more I understand as a person and why it happened, then I can use those lessons for people of all kinds of backgrounds. And yeah. um, so I've come to terms with the fact that maybe I'll, some groups I won't totally fit in, but I can still relate to them as people. But my neighbor maybe doesn't understand my story, but I really don't know what he does when he goes to his engineering job either. So it's okay. We can still be <laughs> That's a good way to put it. And, you know, also just going back to that, which is at first when you shared about, you know, the TCK topic and talking about it, mentioning that people did not know why it was needed and why it should be a topic. Um, there always needs to be someone who's trailblazing this topic, right? And so really, like, thank you for getting the word out there and putting your work into this topic. Because as you can see, there's a whole movement and a whole group and a community of TCKs out there who want answers, who have similar experiences and need such a guide and the first person to actually take the step to do it. So, you know, even when when we think there's only one person who may understand or nobody, there's always, let's say, at least thousands of people who have the same experience. But you just need to get the word out there so they can hear as far as you can you know, reach and say it. So thank you. Thank you for the and work. I want to just give a couple other guidelines. You had uh, said to me somewhere when we were talking before about if parents don't understand and mm -hmm. someone's asking about identity uh, because it is the question of identity. There's there's huge gifts. We'll talk about those when we talk about career in a bit. But the issue of identity, who am I, where do I belong, is the universal one that whether it's because of parents' career, because someone's a refugee, immigrant, different parents with different cultures, that, you know, which am I? Um, and there's some really good uh, resources. One is the, the Road Home by Rahul Gandhatra. He is, uh, it was a short film. It, it became, it was one of the finalists for the Oscars in 2012. And it's a child who grows up in Britain, but then goes back to India for schooling. And it's a classical picture of who am I? And I think if parents watch that together with their kids, they can have a great discussion. Um, and another one is right now the third culture kids of Asia, TCKs of Asia are kind of elevating this discussion to a new level. And they have some podcasts just, you know, when kids have gone to school in a different culture than what their home culture is. That's a whole other thing that I didn't, you know, after I went to boarding school, my mother homeschooled me. And so I didn't go to school in a different language. And so there's incredible amount of resources that are going on. But I think when it comes to identity, we need to rethink how we identify people, that we've always done it by ethnicity, race, um, nationality, that kind of thing. And we need to begin to be able to talk about both and instead of either or as the world is globalizing. And I think that we're seeing that with the recent Olympian who is Chinese and American. And she said, I'm both, you know, when I'm in one place, I can be here and the other. And it's not being fake. She really is both. And 
we need to be thinking in new terms and new ways mm. and giving permission. And, right. That That's a great segment to segue to this comment in the chat right now, which is, um, could you please expand on the idea that TCK is not my identity, but the event that happened to me? What does that mean? I think sometimes it means that I'm a person first, as is every other human being. Mm. I'm a person who needs relationship. I'm a person who needs to express my feelings. I'm a person who thinks. I need to have the right to make choices. And a lot of the TCK profile comes because when you live a life with high mobility and cross-culturalness, you're living a little bit out of sync with the way that people traditionally have done that. And so it's an experience that happened to me and it's certainly impacted my life, but it's not the only thing I am. I'm also a mother, I'm a grandmother, I'm all kinds of other things, you know. And sometimes people who have lived cross-culturally, once in a while I think that we create a monster. I've heard people say, well, I'm a TCK, nobody else can understand me. And I think, wait a minute, you're a person first. And other people have loss, other people have cultural confusion. So this is the way it happened to you. But there is, Janet Bennett talked about different kind of cultural identities and people who've grown up among many cultures. And she said, there is a constructive cultural marginality where I can be on the edges of many cultures and use it well. And I think mm -hmm. that's what we hope we're doing where we can switch and, you know, and be at home in different places. But she says for some people, they get to the place they think I'm so different. And she calls that a terminal uniqueness, a sense of terminal uniqueness. I'm so different. Nobody can ever understand me. If yeah. we get to that place, it's very lonely. Because then if you're not a TCK, I can't relate to you. That's not true. I have friends of all kinds of backgrounds who've taught me many, many things. They've, you know, you can say that they're a coal miner's kid or they're a you know, a teacher's kid or something. I mean, they've grown up in a certain, a farmer kid. They've grown up in a certain environment. It has shaped them. My environment has shaped me, but it doesn't define my essence. It's, it, um, my essence is still in being a person like other people. And we all have our experiences, but it's important to know how my experience shaped me because mm -hmm. then that's when I can use it. Otherwise I wind up thinking terminally unique. I'm so different. I don't know what happened to me. What's the problem? But when I realize, you know, that it shaped me and there's a lot of people that understand just that essence part of me. And then I can use the principles for all kinds of other people or understand their story, too. Then it becomes yeah. useful, I think, mm. for me. I love that. Um, and people are saying we belong everywhere and nowhere. And yep. the wonders of the liminal space, you know, being between and not having to answer the question. I know exactly 100% what my identity or location or where I'm from is, but being comfortable, you know, in between, right? And even with the term of TCK, it's wonderful to have this term and it, you know, it works and functions to support us in understanding the experiences that we had. But um, as you said, at the end of the day, we're humans and we should not be defined by marginalizing ourselves or categorizing ourselves to a idealistic or a model of what we should be. So that is, that is at the end of the day, very important. And I think it's great that we're talking about this because honestly, many people 
think that there is an ideal model of, you know, whatever term we're talking about, even TCKs. There's people that I talk to who are saying, yeah, um, I feel like I'm not the ideal TCK. I feel ashamed when I go to a TCK um, call because people have, you know, most TCKs are the ones who travel so many, like to, to so many places. And then for her, she, she, she stayed in one country her life and she feels bad for coming into TCK groups. So I'm, I'm happy discussing this. So then it becomes exclusive. I see somebody's asking for the name of the 2012 movie again. And okay. while we're doing that, let me add one more thing about identity. There is this place where I say there's this likeness where I'm like other human beings. That's terribly important. It's what gives me the freedom to do what I do because I don't know what all the cultures are that are on this call, but I know that if you've had loss, you'll feel it because you're a human being. At the same time, there's this great wonder that every one of us is unique, whether you're a TCK or not. Every single person in this world is unique. Yeah. And that's this incredible balance of how my story has shaped me, but I'm still a person who thinks in questions. I guess I would do that no matter what culture I was in. I'm a person who is terrible at art. I mean, I, I don't know how to do any art. So probably wherever I was, you know, so part of the discovery and growing bold enough is figuring out who I actually am because there's some things there's no point in my even trying to do. When somebody says you can do everything, I can't, but I can do the things I can do and have mm -hmm. joy in them and let other people do what they can do. So it's a both and it's likeness and then exploring what is the uniqueness of being me that transcends culture that, you know, works um, as me. Yes. And now going on like a different segue, which is how did your, all of these experiences that you had as a TCK influence the work that you do now? In essence, let's say your career path, if we're going to talk about in those definitions, but how did your TCK-ness, let's say, influence your work today, for example, in FIGT and the work that you have been contributing to TCK? I mean, in, in that case, it's a, it's quite obvious into your your engagement in the sector, but how how did your initial identity affect the place that you would be here be now? Yes. Well, that's another really great question, and I'll say to all you younger people, you never know what life has ahead for you, and um, that certainly was my case. I didn't know there was a language anything, but when I was a child, uh, there was a lot of medical need where I grew up. When I would go to the store, there were a lot of children who had leprosy and there were, they had many issues. And so one of the gifts of my upbringing, I got to do things I could never have done in the States. People went out sometimes to the villages in the area to take medical care and they let me go. I'd be a 10, 11 year old, but you know, I could go with them. I even saw a case of smallpox when I was a child, which was of course very sad. So I, could go to the dispensary and watch the people, you know, make diagnosis. There was an eye hospital there. Bless their hearts, they let me come and watch eye surgery. So I was fascinated with the whole medical field. I thought I'd be a doctor. Then I took chemistry and I thought, mm, maybe not, because um, that wasn't such a good course. But I did become a nurse, and that was my expectation. Uh, I married somebody who had planned to be a doctor in Nigeria, which was my country, and uh, we wound up in Liberia. But, you know, that was my that was my career path, I thought. But when I got to uh, Liberia, they were they were 
using the local citizens to, um, they wanted them to have the jobs and not for some of us to take those jobs. So then I wound up doing things, you know, more with the expat community, just sort of by chance. And then all these things happened to get names on it. But one of the things I realized the nursing did for me, it gave me, um, I went to some seminars on grief and on death and dying, but translating the things I learned both as a nurse in that context, but also walking into people's lives when they were in crisis or struggling, you know, and becoming comfortable with that. But I didn't wind up as a nurse. I wound up then because of all these things. Uh, I guess I still cared about people. I cared about people's pain. It became more an emotional pain than, you know, the physical. But I guess that's what happened. And when people say, what do you do? I say, I'm a cheerleader. Um, I don't know how to do all kinds of things. When I started FIGT, I could see the big picture need other people. So I could, you know, express that. But other people had to come in and do the nuts and bolts, make it a 501 or whatever they do, and, and to do the organization. So I, I'm so appreciative of people who know how to get it done, even if I can see where I think we should go. I always tell people, it's like the cheerleader. I say, you know, I know we can make the goal. I just don't know how to do it. And then I realize other people put the X's and O's and they figure out who goes where. And so I'm, I've just had such joy in my life working with people in this big team effort to do the things that have happened. And it's a huge surprise and it's a huge joy. Right. Just right. putting this in action and doing it, right? And right now I just look in the chat again and somebody just said, thank you very much for this talk. I'm, I'm a Brit and also from the US, TCK. I had no idea of the term until yesterday and I just thought I was different. You have shown me the language too. I felt confused for so long. And the, these are the moments where, you know, it's such a privilege to people in this way. and just the fact of us talking about it can really help so many people. Um, and my, let's say, other question following onto uh, this career and kind of your path towards now is, how do you kind of view the pattern of TCKs often actually undervaluing their skills and strengths in the career context? Um, how, how do you see that? Have you had your personal insights into TCKs and their, let's say, career paths and how do you think their identity being a TCK affects their choices or their outlook in the future? I think a lot of TCKs go into some kind of helping profession, but not all. Others choose global things. Other people choose, you know, my brothers work with their hands and they do carpentry and, and reconstruction. And I think they learned that with my father making furniture. Uh, so there's lots of ways we use our story, but I think one of the things in terms of undervaluing is because our story is so normal to us or we feel so confused by it, we don't recognize that issues like many people have learned different languages. How do you put that on your resume? Um, I was one conference and somebody from HR said that if somebody doesn't speak at least two languages, we don't even look at their application because they were a global company and they wanted to know yeah. who could speak. Now that isn't requirement for everybody. But how do you recognize that even many times we've lived in enough places that we have to think outside the box? How are we going to get something done when the usual resources aren't there? And all these things are ways we just are sometimes and don't even understand that maybe it's a gift um, to us. 
But I think another really big thing we have to understand is in 1984, the first conference I was at, a sociologist said that this was going to be who people would be, that TCKs were the citizen of the future. And I thought he was saying, oh, everybody should be like us, we're so wonderful. But what he was saying is this issue of growing up globally, growing up among many cultural worlds in high mobility would become the norm. And it's part of the reason we have so much confusion in the world, because people haven't figured out yet, how do I define myself if I can't define myself against somebody else? How do I define myself positively? And when we think about a career, we can think about these gifts and how do we become part of a positive movement towards being who I am without it having to be against somebody else. I think that's another thing that is so important about knowing who I am is that I can be who I am without you being less. And um, so, you know, that's part of the gift maybe we can bring whether to a workplace, to a career. Can we cheer other people on as well as ourselves or are we all about stepping on other people uh, yeah. to get someplace. And my biggest mantra, everybody knows this, who's ever heard me speak, was what somebody said to me in 1980 when I thought I was supposed to write and I didn't know what I was going to do and all these things. And she said, Ruth, you may never write a book, you may never do anything, but she said, what's the one thing you can do? Right now you write people letters, write them well. And right now you have a small group of people prepare for them well. If it turns into something, fine. If it doesn't, fine. But don't keep waiting to do everything when you don't know how to do everything. She said, just get started. And mm. so I think, you know, whether that's understanding myself, if that's the next career you want to do, what is the thing that you can do? If you want to be this down here, what's the first step you need to make? And what's the gift that you can see from your childhood? How do you work with that? You know, we were also giving our stories for a purpose and, um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but yes, it does. I don't know how to think linearly, so I just kind of do life on the fly. No, no, this this really really makes sense, and thank you for the wonderful answer. And I, I like how you, in the end, mentioned that you just got to do what you have, you know, work with what you have, and utilize the resources and you know your knowledge and your experience so far, and utilize it for something good, for spreading a positive message for lifting others up because there's always somebody else who really may need that exact thing. Like just right now we're talking about TCKs and people seeing this may, may feel, oh my gosh, it's the first time I heard about TCKs and I didn't realize what TCK. And so I feel like it, it makes total sense to just start where you are and look around and see how you can in a way contribute with already the experiences you have. So that, that's a great answer. And Kind of wrapping it up, um, I want to go back to the aspect of this project series, which is about intergenerational TCK. And I want to ask the question of considering this intergenerational aspect, what do you think a younger TCK can learn from you, for example, and your experiences? Of course, beyond of all of the work that you have provided, what is perhaps one thing that you think intergenerationally the younger TCKs can learn from you who is much more experienced already. I just hope that they would know there's hope. I realize every generation has to learn its own story. Every person does. But I think the work for the next generation of 
figuring out some of the new ways to look at things. What's the new normals? How do we help define? How do we help encourage each other? How do we give respect for the stories that we have um, are all part of it. But I think if I'm talking to somebody who's 20, I just say, what's the next thing that you can do? What is it you want to do? And where do you go? And I think people say, well, there's, because we have all this uh, Zoom and everything else that it's different. Well, it is different. I went four years. I never talked to my parents once. But in a way, it's gotten more complicated because each person's story often now has multiple cultures within the story. It has multiple nationalities. We have access to more. And so the questions have actually become harder. So we need to go back to some fundamentals like who are you as a person? Mm-hmm. Who are you in this context? And I still believe that each person who's ever been created has this unique place in history, actually. And the reason I'm not in competition with you is because I don't have your place, but you don't have my place. And so I, I can live in this way. And that's what I would say to all the generations is that that part hasn't changed. Uh, Generations come and generations go. Mine is moving off stage now. But I'm so, so glad to look behind me and see all that's happened in the last 35 years and all that still is there to happen. You know, it, we haven't even begun to explore fully what's really going on globally. And I think it's interesting. And the more we can do that, the more help we can be. And um, I just say, go for it. Right. A question on that is, what is one area of work or where do you think we could still do more research in the TCK topic now? Where do you think there is much more that we can still contribute to? Uh, what do you think that is? Well, the reason I'm so enjoying my friends from the TCKs of Asia podcast, they're teaching me so much. Mm-hmm. I feel like what my generation did, we, we sort of built a baseline. Um, what happens when children have their usual developmental process interrupted by multiple moves and multiple cultural switches, and that's a whole other topic of how we learn identity. But every time we switch, we're moving, you know, we're having to restart in a sense. So that's part of it. But what they're teaching me when I listen to them is the next layer. I tell them they're teaching me TCK part two, and there's probably part three and part four. But who, for the non-Western TCKs who went to school in Western schools, how was that for them in their own sense of identity? The now town who did her PhD work in this, and she's written the book Growing Up in Transit with that result, and how the feeling that she calls a self-inflicted racism against herself, because if she could just be white and Western, she would be accepted and okay. But then the way she was taught to do ask questions and, you know, the cultural impact of the school when she went home at night to an Asian family was pretty different. You don't just ask questions. So that whole impact of when people grow up with language at home being different than language at school has been really, really, really interesting. And it's, we haven't even begun to explore that part. Mm. And that's just one. There's lots more. Mm. Mm. Right. And then to slowly wrap things up, Um, What is one question, in order to encourage this intergenerational exchange, what is one question that you would like to ask a younger TCK from your end? What What is one question that you would have right now? 
And this would actually be answered in the next coming episode with a younger TCK. So what is, what is one question that you may have in mind to ask? Um, I guess what it, you know, depending on the person, but I would think, do you understand the fullness of the life you've been given and that there is so much not to take for granted because the opportunity to see the world, the opportunity to have friends of many cultures, the opportunity to learn different languages, the opportunity to just be part of something really amazing that's going on is pretty stunning to me. And there's a great song that Garth Brooks has, you know, where there's, he's a country singer and there's this beautiful girl and he dances and all that kind of stuff. Everything's great. <laughs> and then she leaves him, of course, because it's a country song. And then he says, you know, if I had known would I have still had the dance. And he said, yes, I could have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss the dance. And if I think about my life, you know, every life in this world has things you have to deal with. And so for me, the losses were real and we had to process them, but the gifts have been enormous and I couldn't have lived a richer life than I've had. Mm. And that's what I'd like to tell the next generation. Wow. That's, that's a wonderful way to wrap this episode up. Um, thank you so much, Ruth, for all your stories and experience and knowledge and history shared. It's very much appreciated. And for everybody who is watching, thank you for being here. Um, I would like to now give you the space to share more about your personal work and how we can also follow, follow your work and how we can contribute and be a part of it. Um, so let us know. Well, I think there's probably two main organizations that I feel are part of this great story. And there's many, many, many more, but the ones I'm involved in. Uh, first, in 1998, we started Families in Global Transition to be a cross-sector um, conference where we were hoping we could get the people living it to be there with the people trying to help us and trying to understand the story, because that's when people still weren't believing. And as I say, with great many other people, it's been a fabulously enriching thing in my life. And they all have their conference in uh, uh, two, three weeks two weeks, um, and go online for them and you can still sign up. It's not that expensive. And there's great, great opportunity to learn more, to be involved, to, to meet other people. And then on Saturday and Sunday, uh, there's another whole wonderful opportunity with SPAN Schools, S-P-A-N, which is Safe Passage Across Network. And what Doug Ota, who founded it, his vision based on work he did with American School of The Hague and all this is to see every school have a transition program established so that when a child leaves one school and goes to another school, they're like, it's like an IB program might be academically where you can slot in even if you're switching. So kids can say goodbye well, they can be received well. And so they're having their first ever SPAN symposium this weekend. And there'll be a lot of people featured. And I just, you know, I've seen so many things grow. I could go on and on with all the people who are doing wonderful things. And to me, the amazement is having started at the beginning when nobody believed except a few. 
the mm -hmm. amount of people who believe now and are doing things, even like what you're doing, uh, to spread the word is just astounding to me. And that lady who said, just do one next thing, she said, if you do one thing at a time, you'll be amazed at what happens. And I think that was 1980. And now, however many years later, I'm amazed at what has happened. And it gives me joy. And thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for everybody who came. Thank you for CETAR. They've also been part of the story for years of um, helping people understand cross-cultural learning and interactions. And it's a big team effort. And so I'm not neglecting anybody. I just explained to you the ones I'm involved in. But I appreciate every podcast that goes out, every school that does anything, every person like you who says there's another niche. I want to talk about careers. Somebody else wants to talk about that. It's great. Amazing. And now that we're wrapping up slowly, we have some time for questions. So if anybody has specific questions, please feel free to pop it in. But I did recognize there were a lot of questions and comments flowing in during the chat and during the conversation, which very much thank you from my side. Um, but feel free to right now, if you have any questions that you want to ask Ruth, then this is the time. Um, otherwise, we're also wrapping it up now. So yes. So there's a lot of thank yous coming in right now. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you for all the conversations and the great questions and the generous wisdom. So amazing. Thank you for having me. Thank you everyone for joining and for also the engagement throughout and the conversations that we had, you know, online. And thank you, Ruth, once again, for joining me for your time and for making this possible. Uh, I think this wrapped up really well the first episode of this whole project series. And it's really inspirational to talk with you on this topic. And I wish to many more conversations and work in this field. Uh, but to now, thank you again. And we're logging off. Thank you so much. And see you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thanks for coming too. And thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. Thank you.